If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who would hate to share a debate stage with Kamala Harris, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. But today in the red chair, we have someone who has been on that stage. It's Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado, who's also running for president of the United States. He announced his candidacy in May and has made no secret of the fact that he thinks many of America's leaders are corrupt and possibly sociopathic. Um, Senator Bennett, welcome to Rico Dito. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for <laughs> so having let me. So just, I have to tell one thing. I know you, I, I work for your brother a little bit. I don't really work for him. I don't listen to him at all, but James right. Bennett That's is. That's what he tells me. Yes, exactly. He's the head of the opinion section of the New York Times, and I'm a contractor there. So I just, yeah. that's my little disclosure. But I don't care if I bother him in any way whatsoever. So let's talk about you running for president. You and I met a couple months ago, and I had one of the best conversations I think I've had with a politician in a very long time. Because it was very, it was, you, you were, you were talking very deeply and substantively on issues. And we are in the midst of a campaign where it's very soundbitey, it's very twitchy, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Talk a little bit about your background, uh, because I think it's really important, some of the topics I want to talk about, education, about tech, about, you know, how to essentially fix democracy yeah. and what's going on. Well, first of all, I think that's what we have to do. And when I say we, I mean all of us. I think you have a job to do, I have a job to do. We have to have a much more elevated expectation of our politicians and our journalists and ourselves as citizens. This is a self-governing enterprise that we're involved with. And this is not one of these things where we're waiting around for some great leader to come save us or mm -hmm. for Donald Trump to say, I alone can fix it. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can fix it but the American people. And I think tech has a lot to do with that, but we'll get to that. My background is sort of weird. It's a uh, Kind of a sketchy background. I've been in the Senate. <laughs> I've been in the Senate for ten years uh, from a purple state, Colorado, which is a, exactly a third Republican, a third Democratic, and a third Independent, which has its own challenges and, and is a fascinating place to represent. But before that, I began as a lawyer and then was in business for almost seven years, turning around distressed companies, and then was superintendent of the Denver Public Schools for five right, years, which right. really the most meaningful job I've ever had. How get to that job? Because I want to talk about changes in education. So I that job, I, I was working for the mayor of Denver, who's this guy named John Hickenlooper, who's also mm -hmm. running for president. He was our great governor in mm -hmm. Colorado. and But then he was becoming mayor, and he was a business person. I had helped him with his campaign uh, went to be his chief of staff, and um, and we assembled an incredible team of people in the city and county. And at about the two-year mark, 
the existing superintendent in Denver decided to leave, mm-hmm. uh, and the independently elected school board for the Denver Public Schools hired me to be the superintendent. I think they thought it was important to have somebody who had a sense of the politics of the place we were working and uh, had turned around uh, failing enterprises. Right. And it wasn't just— But you didn't a, have a background in education. No background in education. Right, yeah. right. And what, what, what did you think when you got a hold of something like that? Because I do want to get to—the the concept I want to get to is what, what do we do now so, about education? So my first thought when they came to see me was— there is no way I want to associate myself with the wreckage that, you know, exists in urban school districts all across America. Mm-hmm. But the more I read, the more compelled I was by the mission because the kids have done nothing wrong. You know, the mm-hmm. kids have all the intellectual horsepower they need to do the work to be able to thrive as citizens, to contribute to the democracy, to contribute to the economy. But our obsolete system of public education is not supporting them. Right. And that's not the fault of educators. It's not the fault of anybody. If there is any fault to, to cast, it's America. And, and we have treated America's children like they're someone else's children, not like they're our own children. That's why we're still on an agrarian calendar that belongs to a time when we needed kids to work in the fields. That's why we don't have the sense to create opportunities for kids to go to school maybe at night when they could work during the day. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we should be doing differently. And and as I, the more I read about it, the more compelled I was by the mission. And I have to say, there was not a day. It was brutal. Often it was hand-to-hand combat. There was not a day when the mission of that school district didn't animate me and didn't make me feel like I was actually making a contribution to my community. Do you feel that it was a successful? I think we were successful, but not as successful as I would like to be. So Mm -hmm. we still have massive, even though our kids in Denver have grown much more over the last 15 years than, and by the way, that was the work of my my successor and and a lot of other people but our kids have grown dramatically in Denver. The graduation rate's much higher. The college-going rate's much higher. The success rate on things like the AP tests are much, much higher. And even with that, we still have incredibly stubborn achievement gaps between Anglo kids and kids of color, between mm-hmm. wealthy kids and kids that aren't wealthy. But there was a study that came out last week from Stanford that said that the growth in Denver is now so much stronger than the rest of the districts in Colorado, that it is the equivalent of the kids in Denver having 60 additional days of education mm-hmm. each year for the last three years. Although it doesn't that's get a, to the concept that it's the wrong kind of education system in general. That's true. Going forward that's for true. jobs. That's true. So when you decided you became a senator, you've been there for 10 years. How do you assess your tenure? I think for the first term, I've now been there for yeah 10 years, as you mm-hmm. said, For the first six years, for me, it was all an exercise about showing that I could work in a bipartisan way and accomplish results, Mm -hmm. even though Washington was completely broken. And I had a Machiavellian reason for wanting to do that because I didn't want people to give up faith in the system. And I wanted to get reelected, you know, and I thought in a state like Colorado, which was a third, a third, a third, it was important to show that you could work with people on the other side. So whether it was being part of the Gang of Aid on immigration reform, which I was, or rewriting No Child Left Behind and putting that out to pasture, which I did with Lamar Alexander as the chair of the the, uh, health committee, or rewriting the way the FDA approves 
life-saving medicine with Richard Burr to create what are called breakthrough therapies, which mm-hmm. cut the red tape for uh, massive amounts of drug approvals in this country. That was the story of the first six years I was here, which was dysfunctional system. We can still get things done. Then I was reelected the year that Trump was elected, which mm-hmm. was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I, I Shocking. I was running. I was running. And I did not give a moment's thought to the idea that Donald Trump was going to be the next president of the United States, which is a failure of mine. And since that time, the wheels have come off the, the bus completely. So, from your perspective? We had a, a competent president who is trying to do the right thing for the country in Barack Obama and was being immobilized by the Freedom Caucus and by Mitch McConnell. They, they think they've been sent to Washington to dismantle the federal government, and they're really successful at what they've been trying to do. And I think the American people looked at this mess, and they couldn't assign blame. And so what they said was— uh, we can't possibly do any worse than this. Let's elect this reality TV star president and blow the place up. That's right. what people in my – if you ask somebody mm-hmm. in Colorado, why would you vote for Donald Trump? They'll say because we wanted to blow the place up. And I say to them, congratulations, you succeeded. Mm-hmm. He's made matters much worse. We, right. were, we were immobilized before he got here. Matters are much worse right now because he's completely incompetent and because he's, I think, a weak leader and domestically and in foreign policy. His own party has no idea what he's going to say from day to day. So they're worried that, you know, like, I don't know if you ever watched that Ultraman show when you were a kid. (laughs) But but I remember there was always a danger that the monster was going to irradiate you with his by looking in your direction. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is for my Republican colleagues, whether it's on immigration or it's on trade or it's on infrastructure. They have no idea where he's going to be day to day. And so we end up in a world now where, and this has changed a lot from the time that I first got in, where if you ask me today, Kara, who's running Washington, my answer is completely different than it would have been 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. My answer today is it is the folks that watch the cable television at night, which is, you know, nine or 10 million people, Mm -hmm. and people that engage with their politicians on Twitter. Those folks who are in a never-ending cycle of conflict and outrage Mm -hmm. and are not being asked to sacrifice anything except Mm -hmm. the time that they're consuming focused on that stuff. Those folks are incredibly well-represented in Washington. And by the way, I love some of these people. My mom watches that stuff. I watch some of that stuff. I'm one of those. I'm one of those 12 million people. (laughs) Which one do you watch? But it's the three. Well, I'll watch a little bit of all of it. I actually was on Fox last Mm -hmm. Sunday, Mm -hmm. but... There are 320 million people who are getting up in the morning, doing their jobs, doing their jobs, sending their kids to places like the Denver Public School, hoping for the best that their kid is going to get an education to drive opportunity for them and for their family, trying to make sure their small business succeeds. That's what they're doing all day long. And they, at this point, have no representation in Washington, D.C. Well, they can. They certainly can. They just abrogated it because why? Well, I think it's been abrogated by the collapse of print media in this Mm -hmm. country. I think Mm -hmm. it's been abrogated by the rise of social media in our politics and special interests and the Koch brothers. I mean, they're all – and gerrymandering. I mean, all of those things have repelled people. And so there are two instincts. One – three maybe. Let's say three. Mm -hmm. One – we're going to send Trump there to blow the place up. Right. That's a that's a that'll in, show him. Yeah, and in the end, that's a self defeating thing mm-hmm. for the country. Two, 
we're going to look away because it's too painful. And these guys, guys like me are just a bunch of jokers <laughs> that are self-interested that aren't actually going to move the country forward. Or third, this is what I think we need to do. We need to understand that when you have the great fortune to live in a society that's organized around self-government and a set of freedoms that are designed to allow you to express your point of view, you can't opt out. And the fact that it's corrupt, the fact that the campaign finance system doesn't work, the fact that gerrymandering is there, the fact that the Supreme Court doesn't understand how our politics work, this needs to be an invitation for America to lean into this problem, mm -hmm. not avert their eyes. And that's what I think the enormous opportunity is. Look, it's a catastrophe on one level that Donald Trump was elected. On the other hand, it's an incredible opportunity for us as a country to decide how do we want this exercise in self-government to go forward? What do we really think about immigration? What do we really think about big tech? What do we really think about education, which mm -hmm. I hope we'll have the chance mm -hmm. to talk about? And what do we think our role so, in the democracy so needs to be? This is why you ran, because you think yeah. there's the third option. Right. Which yeah. is everybody – it's a sort of Sheryl Sandberg option. Everybody lean in well, to this mess. I think I would think of it this way. In the I've written a book called The Land of Flickering mm -hmm. Lights, and the argument I make is that the founders did two really incredible things at the beginning. They liberated us from a, from a colonial power. They wrote a constitution that was ratified by the people that would live under it. They did something horrible. They perpetuated human slavery. Mm -hmm. Other Americans came along. Frederick Douglass, chief among them, obviously Abraham Lincoln, a huge part of it. But this guy's born a slave in America, born a slave. Mm -hmm. And he goes up to Massachusetts and he meets with the abolitionists up there uh, in Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. I forget where it was. And he says to him, look, you guys are arguing that the Constitution is a pro-slavery document. That's exactly the opposite argument we should be making. The argument is it's an anti-slavery document mm -hmm. and we're not living up to the precepts of that document. First of all, huge political power in what he's what he was arguing. Mm -hmm. And second, because he was arguing that our best traditions are what we were trying to fulfill rather than that we had to overturn those traditions. We just okay. had to fulfill them. And second, in my view, and this is not just rhetorical for me, Frederick Douglass deserves to be thought of as a founder just as much as the guys that wrote the Constitution mm -hmm. because he helped end human slavery in this country. Well— what I argue in the book is that's how we have to think of our role as citizens in this country. We are, in effect, founders of the United States of America. We are founders of this republic right now. And as Douglas says, our business must be with the present. Mm -hmm. Our business is with the present. That's what we have to deal with. We, we can't cry and moan about why we got here. We can't overdo the fact that we've got this incompetent guy and build him up into this, you know, huge monster we have to double down, I think, again, on our democratic traditions updated for the 21st century. That's what we've always done. All right, we're going to get to that, what those updated things are, because there are all new things impacting it, as you listed quite a few. Yeah. But if you – when I, I hate saying put it into why did you suddenly decide to do this? You had thought about this? Because yeah. you look at you – this is what I said to somebody the other day. I said, look at him. He's so smart. So uh, He's so substantive. In any other era, you would have been at the front of the – line of presidential candidate. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really interesting that you have to be 
a Donald Trump-like figure. Well, if, if you have to be a Donald Trump-like figure, I can't win. Right. If we decide that you don't have to be a Donald Trump-like figure and we want the opposite of Donald Trump, I have a chance of winning. And mm-hmm. I, I actually would not have run if I didn't think I could win. I may be the only person in America <laughs> who thinks I can win, but I think that I can. No, there's others think we think can't in win the end, the, uh, In the end, we really have to live up to the example that these other folks in American history have set. Look, this is not a moment where we are sitting at our radios listening to Franklin Roosevelt tell us that we are about to have to go into a second world war Mm -hmm. that this generation has already fought. That's not what we're doing now. We're not. This is not a moment where we have a civil war in America. But we do have really fundamental challenges that— the school kids in Denver can't solve because mm-hmm. they're too busy going to school, and they need us to do our work. They need us to do our job. And I believe that out of this conflagration, we're going to put ourselves back together again because that's what we've always done. All right. We're here with Michael Senator Michael Bennett. He's one of the Democratic candidates uh, running for president. We're going to a quick break now. When we get back, we'll talk more about education, tech, and the things you need to do to win the presidency. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea, but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. We're here with Senator Michael Bennett. He is one of the Democratic candidates running for president. He's the the senator from Colorado. Let's talk about what it takes to win right now in this environment. And I want to sort of—it is—we talked—I know it's a twitchy time. It's everything is soundbites. You had a soundbite, which my son noticed, which was incredible, about uh, being upset at Ted Cruz. That was a 30-minute soundbite. I know it was, but he listened to the whole thing. But you know what I mean? He he listens. He follows Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He watches—he watches and— experiences he's going to vote for the first time this year, uh, in 2020, for president. How do you look at the electorate now and running for president? I mean, obviously, this is the first time you've run, but how how did you look at the scene? First of all, there's a lot of you, and that's—there's too much to be said about that. Well, but let me say one thing about that, which is for a guy like me, that's what creates the opportunity. Right. If there there were two or three people, it might be harder. So the fact that there are a lot of people— So it's the who knows what could happen rule, Exactly. And and actually, on that point— If history is any guide, the people that are leading the race today are not going to be the nominee. I mean, Barack Obama was 
not yet 30 no, points Valerie behind Jarrett Hillary pointed that Clinton. Out to me. Yeah, that took that was in November of this coming November when he right. was behind by 30 points to Hillary Clinton. Joe Lieberman, I think, was leading the race when he mm-hmm. was in, and Bill Clinton was at 1%. So these are early days. Now, we've got stuff like the debate stage and all of that and, mm-hmm. and those requirements that may be compressing the time. But for me, I look at it and say, look, there isn't anybody else in this race who's won a national race in a swing state. I'm the only one that's done that mm-hmm. in Colorado, and I've done it twice. And those are tough races mm-hmm. in a state that is hard to win twice. Once it's hard to win, twice it's really hard to win. I've won more votes than anybody else in the history of the state of Colorado. So I know something about winning in a swing state. I think that my experiences are different than anybody else here. I've got a, a longer tenure than many of them in the Senate and, and a record that's mm-hmm. the one that I described earlier but also experience in business and running the school district before, all of which I think gives me the chance, if I can do it, to set a deep keel and not get buffeted every single day by what's going on in the Twitter universe, just mm-hmm. to shorthand it. I don't want to yeah. insult anybody, or, right. but just to shorthand it, when I think a lot of other folks are genuflecting to that day after day after day. And what I believe, based on my time in Iowa, New Hampshire, and, and South Carolina, is that the Democratic base, the base of the Democratic Party, is where I think it is, and I think that's where I am. Mm-hmm. It is not the Twitter base, the de- de- mm-hmm. de- Democratic Party. This is something Nancy Pelosi talked about different... with me, and just recently she got herself in a little trouble. She did, and I'm not saying that in a way. I don't mean that to be pejorative. I mm-hmm. think everybody should be involved in our politics however they want to be involved in our politics. I'm just saying that the people that don't show up on Twitter mm-hmm. deserve representation as well. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's and a reactive kind of po- politics. has become so reactive. It has become really reactive. How do you operate Look, as a politician in that environment? You have, I think that you have to have conviction about what you believe. I asked a guy once who was a principal of a school in Denver, who were, which was one of the best schools in Denver. We were walking down the hallway, and this kid was chewing gum. who was coming in the other, other direction. And the, the principal kind of looked crosswise a little bit. The kid took the gum out of his mouth, and we kept walking. And mm-hmm. the principal said, I don't care whether that kid's chewing gum. What I care about is that the rules in this place are enforced so people can learn. And I said to him, how do you deal with the parents? Because mm-hmm. so many principals say to me that the parents come in and 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 they take this kid side and mm-hmm. they and they don't want the discipline from somebody else. And he says, I visualize the conflict in advance, and then I know it will be temporary, and then I can come out on the other <laughs> side. That is how I've always approached my work. You know, mm-hmm. as a superintendent, having to make horribly tough decisions for my community to close schools that should have been closed decades before to give the neighborhood, the opportunity to be able to start a new school over again. And that's how I've tried to approach the work um, as being a senator and Mm -hmm. as a presidential candidate. It may not work, but I I believe there is a market for somebody who sounds like they're telling the truth because they are telling the truth. Because, you know, it is, whether you like Twitter or not, the media is on Twitter, it's reactive, there's such an active... There's such an active—I wrote a column today because the, the 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 appeals court decided that Donald Trump can't block people on Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. And I wrote a piece about how now Twitter and Donald Trump are married together. This week he initiated a bunch of presidential orders on yeah. Twitter by tweet, which yeah. the people who were receiving them didn't understand, you know, and had to say to a judge, I don't know what he means. If I had an answer for that, 
I'd be a billionaire. Listen, listen. <laughs> what do you, what but do you it's do a serious in a governing qu- environment. It, but this like is this. a serious issue. So, mm-hmm. Twitter does not run itself by Twitter. Twitter does not run itself by tweet. Twitter mm-hmm. is a business enterprise, right? And they have a board of directors that makes considered judgments about the continuing improvement of that enterprise. We have that responsibility for America, too, and we just can't do it based on what's happening in some social media storm on any given day. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be taking it in as information, and I do take it in as information. But it is how things are happening now. It's not people say we shouldn't, but it actually is. Everything is is born out there. How do you switch back the governing um, to a, a less, to a much more standardized I, way? I'm not sure, but we were going to have to figure out a way to do that because we w- will not be able to govern if we keep doing what we're doing because we'll continue to be mobilized. Look, mm-hmm. there did not, it's not obvious to me, I mean, this is not my specialty, it's yours, not obvious to me why social media, I wouldn't say unvarnished, but why it couldn't be a normative good in yes, our democracy. That is, democratize our country, make mm-hmm. give more people the chance to participate, have leaders like me be more responsive to what people right. want, actually want for their families. And that their, was the idea. And that is not where we are. Where right. we are is in a downward spiral of vitriol and of attack politics and, and hyper-partisanship that is gratifying, I think, on a lot of levels. And people can't look away from it almost like a, a an automobile accident mm-hmm. or something. So, but but that's not – we can't run the country that way. So I want to ask you – so there's can't. been a lot of the candidates – some of the things you've been talking about, some of your issues have have been varied. But but Elizabeth Warren and others have talked about breaking up big tech and reining in big tech. Yeah. And I find big tech to be different than it's, – it's Facebook and Google and then everybody else in many ways. How do you look at all that? Uh, how do you think about, uh, about the power of that? Because it has inf- – infected, whether it's the Russians, whether it's uh, it's addiction, whether it's um, twitchiness, whether it's the inability to hold a, a cogent thought for very long or yeah. make policy so, that isn't impacted so by it. Let me, so first of all, I, your observation is an important one, which is these companies aren't all the same, mm-hmm. and we need to understand what each one does. I don't know whether the right answer is to break them up. I think the FTC and the Justice Department absolutely should be investigating them. I think we should be thinking about whether our antitrust laws still make sense in a world where it's not a, you know, where the the traditional way of thinking about this is, is the consumer harmed? Mm-hmm. Now we're living in a world where consumers are getting free stuff or from Amazon getting yeah. much, much cheaper stuff. Delivery. Or like your pal Scott Galloway talks about, <laughs> you know, is in the position of being able to buy a grocery store and cut the market cap of every other grocer in the right. country by 20 percent just Instantly. because Amazon's never expected to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Those are all huge issues that we should be looking at. Then there's the privacy issues, which are massive. Nobody in (laughs) – not nobody, almost nobody in America thinks they've made a trade with the tech companies to give up their data to be monetized for whatever a tech company wants it to do. The fact that I – the 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 app that has made the biggest difference in my life is Waze because I now no longer sweat traffic. I right. just I'm in it because I have to be there. I know that Waze will get me out of it if it can get me out of it. Don't need to worry about it. But I haven't made a trade with those guys mm-hmm. at Google for my 
data. Well, and that's have. a conversation. Well, it's a conversation we need to well, have. Well, it's interesting. I was at an event last night and someone was talking about that. And I said, you, you, he, I like my free this. I like my free that. I said, you've made a trade, you know. You're yeah. trading your personal privacy right. for that. And I said, you're a cheap date because they're making a fortune yeah. off of you and you're getting that's a free true. map. It's true. And it's kind of a trade of adhesion, mm-hmm. not a real trade. And I want to mention one other thing that you just said. I was in the Mississippi Delta last mm-hmm. week for three or four days, and my wife is from Marianne, Arkansas, which is the heart of the Mississippi Delta. This is among the poorest part of America. Mm-hmm. And I was meeting with some moms in a town called Helena, Arkansas. I have these meetings all over the country and in, at home where I ask people about, tell me about raising a kid in Helena, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And what they went right to was, first they said, look, the education system isn't what it was when we were in school. These parents are in their early 30s, by the way. And they said, all the kids in the Delta, they're just spending all day playing video games on Mm -hmm. their computers. They don't read. One of them said, nobody goes to the library to check out a book anymore. They have no internet at home because nobody can afford it and nobody's bothered to build an infrastructure that can take it to their house. So what the kids do is they download the games during the day at their school and then they go home and they spend all night playing the games (laughs) and get no sleep. In Silicon Valley, I guess, there are people sending their kids to camp so they Mm -hmm. don't have to use computers and they're not on iPads. And and I don't want to sound like a Luddite or something, But from the vantage point of somebody in the Delta, that's how they're thinking about this stuff. And when I think you and I talked about this the last time you were – we were together, you know, I, as the father of three daughters, I worry a lot about the violence that's being perpetrated on them Mm -hmm. because – they're at home and they're, you know, maybe they didn't get invited to the party and the right. party's all going on right. while they're right. there. The FOMA. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the final point is you mentioned is the Russians for Christ's right. sake. Yeah. Sorry. The Russians running, for, go ahead. Russians for no, Christ's sake. Is but that, that's the name of my that, new book. That's Russians not even, well, I'm pulling together, I'm actually pulling together a bunch of the ads because nobody knows what these ads were. I mean, that's you know. That's the point. The, and exactly, exactly. That's the point. And here we had a year, at least, when we could not detect Russian propaganda from our own political discourse. Mm-hmm. Facebook was saying this is, would never have ha- I think they said it didn't happen. It didn't and happen then, initially. Yeah. And we were attacked by a foreign government with a malign interest who's running not just anti-Hillary ads, but pitting African-Americans against police officers and police officers against Mm -hmm. African-Americans. I saw one this morning of Uncle Sam lying in an alley mainlining oil. And and, and this was a Russian ad. And they were saying, why are we giving these guys $10 billion of subsidies when we're not investing in our schools? This is the Russians. Right. Indistinguishable from our stuff. Yeah. And, of course, they have every economic— Making a fair point. (laughs) True. I I actually agree with the point. They shouldn't be subsidized. But I believe that because they shouldn't be subsidized because that's not good for America. Mm -hmm. The Russians believe that because they're trying to get an economic advantage for their petroleum industry. Right, right. And which is, you know— which is basically Mother Russia. Right. And Trump still claims this didn't happen. So what, you're in the Senate. This is something that happened. In the, you know, the Senate was investigating Senator Warner and yep. Senator Burr were yep. behind that. What, when you're facing an election like that where it's going to come on again, yep. where there's—the way I look at it is the Russians did not win the Cold War. 
but they're they're winning this one, or the Chinese. They, this is a way they can win in a way that they couldn't before because they didn't have the military might. They didn't have the, the citizenry that was behind them. They didn't have the money and all kinds of things. And this way they can win in a way that's much more effective. They didn't have the innovation. Innovation, yeah. nothing. But this works because destruction is easy. Right. Destruction is easy. Yeah. And this is a very sneaky way to des- destroy. How do you, at running at this time— why hasn't the government, the Congress, pushed back enough on well, this? Well, I think the guys that you mentioned, Warner and Burr, are trying to do it. I'm mm-hmm. on that committee, and I can't talk about the intelligence. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is we have learned a lot from what happened in 2016. Um, that showed up in 2018, and they're going to be back again in 2020. And we are. it's not going to be the same old stuff. We don't know what it's going to be. Right. We have to be prepared so, for it. And the American people have to be informed about what this all looks like so they can recognize it when it's being passed around the why internet. why does it have to be the American people have to recognize? You know, it, it should be, how does Congress work with these tech companies oh, to well, push this? We push. Should, well, I, I think we should be doing that too. I mean, there's but no— are re- we doing that? Well, I proposed last week that we ban foreign governments from buying advertising on these companies for mm-hmm. political purposes. I think that the ideas that others have had to— ban the, the hyper-targeting of, mm-hmm. of political advertisements, or uh, it would be a welcome idea as well. We have to protect the democracy, mm-hmm. and I think the big tech guys have to take responsibility for it. When, when I hear the Facebook guys say, we're just a platform, and I see the damage that they have done to our political discourse— uh, and I know that they're not the government. You know, there is not a First Amendment, as you said and I've said, there's not a First Amendment issue implicated here with Facebook. There's a question for Facebook whether they want to make a benevolent contribution to our society or they want to contribute to a malevolent, something that detracts from our society. And I think they should be focused on that. They're an American company. What can you make them do? First of all, we could break them up if mm-hmm. we decided we were going to do that. We could regulate them in, in other ways to make sure that they did what they what, what we need them to do, to not have hate speech on their platforms, you know, to create rules of the road if they're not willing to police themselves. It's certainly within our ability to do that. And we've done that with broadcasters, obviously. And these guys have benefited from rules that existed to, to give them a little bit of um, – help with their launch, mm-hmm. they're now the biggest companies in America. And mm-hmm. they can surely withstand Yeah, they can surely withstand some rules of the road. Mm-hmm. Do you think that'll happen? I do think that'll happen. I think the American people are tired of this. I think they're tired of their kids feeling like their interaction with the world around them is provoking anxiety among them. I think people are sick and tired of hate speech running rampant on the Internet. And and we've got competing values here. I mean, obviously, there's a balance that you have to strike, but there's no reason we can't do that. All right. We're here with Senator Michael Bennett. He's one of the Democratic candidates running for president. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
We're here with Senator Michael Bennett. We've been talking about a lot of things, including what to do about tech. Um, one of the things that's critically important when you think about this is keeping innovation in this country and, and keeping a citizenry that's innovative. I think other countries are moving pretty quickly ahead of us in that in education and keeping, you know, keeping innovation, China being one of them. You know, tech has changed things. AI is going to transform jobs. They're going to transform, uh, you know, robotics, automation, transportation. How do we keep ourselves ahead? Do you think about that? Is that one I do. of the things? I think about it a lot. I mean, I think there are tax policies and there's there's there, there are investments that we can make in basic research and R&D, those kinds of things. But to me, the most important thing is our education system. And it's not just about innovation, which is really important. It's also the democratization of innovation and the benefits of innovation. That That is the democratization of the benefits of innovation. Mm-hmm. And when you have a system of education, as we do in this country today, that is actually reinforcing the income inequality that we have rather than liberating people from it. And this is Raj Chetty's data from Stanford, Mm -hmm. you know, who it's very clear that the best predictor of the quality of your education is your parents' income. The best Mm -hmm. predictor of your income is your parents' income. That was in your packet of stuff. I'm only halfway through all your charts. Uh, Oh, yeah, that is. You're right. Just so you know, uh, Senator Uh, Pennett. 130 charts. (laughs) Anybody who wants to. gave me all these charts. No, but you're right. I was like, what a wonk. That's fantastic. That's in there. It was. That's right. And what that means is the best – and I'm grateful for that because you're probably the first person to actually (laughs) read it. But what that also means is the best predictor of whether you're going to be an innovator is your parents' income. Mm -hmm. And that's not how this should work. And so I know you've had conversations on the show before about where we're going to get a more diverse group of people around STEM. And I'll just give you an example from my perspective on that because I think this is so critical. When I became superintendent in Denver – I looked at a lot of data, and one of the most startling things was that of the kids who graduated from our school district Mm -hmm. and then went to college, these were our most successful graduates, 90% of them needed remediation in mathematics before. 90% for their first year. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but one reason was we were requiring only two years of math. And math, I'm not a big believer in seat time, but math is one of those things that if you don't practice it, you lose it. You forget it. So we were saying two years of math unless you pass the algebra exam in the eighth grade, in which case we were saying to our strongest adolescent mathematicians, you now only have to take one year of math before Mm -hmm. you graduate. We are going to relieve you of the burden of taking math. Today, to get out of there with a high school degree, mm-hmm. you have to take four years of math. And if you pass the algebra exam in the eighth grade, which, by the way, you can do nothing with. Mm-hmm. If you pass the algebra exam in the eighth grade, that means you will take higher-level mathematics, college-level mathematics, before you graduate. It's a perfect example of how the incentives and disincentives in the system are completely unaligned to the objectives that we want. And we're going to have to change those incentives and disincentives to get the objectives that we need so that more of America can participate in the innovation economy that you're talking about. You don't have to go to college to do it. Mm -hmm. But for the 70% of kids that are graduating from high school, we have no ability right now in America to take them from earning not a minimum wage, but to earn a wage that they can live on. We can do that. We'd have to revolutionize our community college system. We'd have to revolutionize high school. 
But we've done stuff like that in the past before, and I think we could do it again. If you had to pick one of the areas that you think is most important to focus on, what would the first year of a Bennett administration look like? I think the first year would be— Because that's all you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. Uh, I think the first year— No, would, I mean the first year is a critical year of any president. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless it's the roller coaster. Let's hope it's of not all you, all you got. Well, you know what I mean. I think, look, I think a starting place is to acknowledge the fact that we've got 40 years of, of, of economic immobility for the bottom 90% of Americans. Another way of saying that is that um, 90% of America has not benefited from economic growth for them the last 40 years has largely been a never-ending recession. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, they cannot afford some combination of housing, health care, higher education, and early childhood education. Right. And what I think we should do to begin to address that is undo the Trump tax cuts, create a real, sizable, middle-class tax cut. My plan's called the American Family Act. It dramatically increases the child tax credit in this country. It's Bennett Brown is the name mm -hmm. of it. And then Brown Bennett is the name of this big expansion in the earned income tax credit. You right. take those two things together, you've given the middle class a huge shot uh, and in the arm, and we've reduced childhood poverty in America by 40% just by doing that. We've ended $2 a day poverty for kids in America. Those would be worthy things to do anyway. And I think while we're doing that, we have to act from day one forward, I've, I've laid out a plan over a nine-month period um, to act on climate change, which, you know, we have to do— Isn't that Hickenloopers? No, <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, it's Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee. Right. We do have, all each have to have one? Like, what, on each one of these Yeah, and, and Elizabeth Warren has all of them. Like <laughs> She's got every. She's got a plan for it all. I, I, I gave her credit for that. I was talking to this, one of the candidates. I was like, why don't you just borrow one of hers because yeah. she's got extra. Well, she might not notice. <laughs> right, I know. Like, um, that's really possible. But, <laughs> but you know, I'll come back to that in one second. But I think that the climate is something that we've got to deal with. And I, and I also believe we need to create universal health care in this country. And mm -hmm. the great thing about this race is every single Democrat believes we need universal health care. Yeah. We have disagreements about how to get there, but right. that's a step in the right direction. I mean, we don't have universal health care today because, you know, there were people in the Democratic Senate mm -hmm. who didn't allow us to do a public option when Barack Obama was president of the United States. We now have a real consensus on that, and mm -hmm. I think that would be huge for for working families in this country who are struggling because health care is such an unpredictable commodity for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about all these various things— how do you think the chances are of one of you winning in this race? It goes back and forth, and the numbers are funny. They're, the economy has been Trump. great. The economy has been, for overall, has been great. Yeah. Jobs are strong. Yeah. Um, you know, the Fed is, looks like they're cutting again. The stock market went crazy today. How do you look at at, at that environment and uh, well, trying to win? I guess win? I'd say a couple things. One, I think the economy, you know, on some measures is doing well. Mm -hmm. But this age-old problem of, of, in inequality. Of, of inequality and of people not being able to afford a middle-class life or the people, who, frankly, who don't come to my town halls, mm -hmm. who are working two and three jobs and are living in poverty and see no escape from poverty, people that I saw all the time when I was superintendent of the Democratic of public schools, as long as you've got no economic mobility, massive income inequality, and, and people feeling like no matter how hard they work, they can't move their family ahead, the democracy's at risk. And I think that the, I don't mean to, you know, downplay the fact that we're in the 10th year of an economic 
period of growth. There's no question that's true. And Donald Trump managed to catch what will probably be the tail end of that because Mm -hmm. we've been growing essentially the same way since about 2009 Mm -hmm. when Barack Obama was president. But we've got fundamentals in the economy that we've got to change. And this goes back to questions about how we're going to invest for the future. What are we going to do with our antitrust laws? How are we going to think about immigration differently? Will we ever create, again, a system of public education in this country that's actually the wind in our back? If all we did was give that 70 percent of kids graduating from high school Mm -hmm. the chance to earn a living wage instead of a minimum wage, it would transform our economy. Mm -hmm. Just that. And we could do more than that. So one thing we should stop doing is cutting taxes for rich people in this country. We've been doing that. We've cut taxes $5 trillion since 2001. Almost all the benefits gone to the wealthiest people in this country, and it's exacerbated income inequality. We spent $5.6 trillion in the wars in the Middle East. That's $11 trillion that from the vantage point of Americans who would like to see an economy that grows for them, not just for the people in the top 10, top 5, top 1, or point one, we might as well have lit that money on fire. Mm -hmm. That's a set of priorities that I think – and you ask whether we can win. I think we can win – For two reasons. One, we are for universal health care. The president's taken millions of people's health care away. We're for an economy that works better for everybody. His signature accomplishment was cutting taxes for rich people and putting tariffs on the American people that have been a tax increase for, for working people and for farmers and for ranchers in this country. And I think, importantly, he doesn't fundamentally believe in the American experiment. He doesn't believe in America. He doesn't believe in democracy. He doesn't believe in the rule of law. He coddles dictators, and he's made our border a symbol of nativist hostility all the world over. I don't think that's what the American people want in their president, and I think that that gives somebody on my side, I hope it will be me, the opportunity to win. We can't disqualify ourselves, though, which means we have to stand for policies that the American people will support. So lastly, how then do you, you know, you were on that stage, the debate stage, which was really interesting. <laughs> you were, you you had a good one. Thank you. had you. a good one there, but of course it, Kamala Harris, like, she stole, stole the show. She stole the show. She stole, she stole, the, stole show. the show. I can watch when her from where that, I was standing. I know, you? Just seeing her. You saw her getting thinking, ready. You're stealing the show. You're stealing the but show. But did you see her do it? Did you see yeah, her? Yeah, I, was, did you I did. I, I mean, mean no, knew that she was going to do it. I was sort of surprised that nobody knew that was coming. Well, I didn't know that that was coming, but I could see her as she did her thing mm-hmm. that, that she was going to end up being the headline. You had a good one, though. Thank y- you. About yeah. the deal, about yeah. the deal that you made. Yeah. When you're in those environments, how are you going to stand out? How do you look at it? If you don't, if you don't want to be twitchy, if you don't want to be soundbite. The way I look at it is, first of all, while I can't be soundbite, I also can't give 10-minute answers, as right. I've been doing here. The reason <laughs> okay. I like, I like it. The reason I, <laughs> I like, like this kind minutes. of format is yeah. that— I, I like to have the give and take uh, because I because I actually think fundamentally this exercise in pluralism that we're living in mm-hmm. is one that relies on us to disagree with each right. other. Well, not, you know, not Hamilton wrote long, other. so don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, so, well, I wish I were that guy. <laughs> but so I got to get down to one minute and 30 seconds. It's not the greatest art form. And it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not the best. But I guess what I'm trying to convey on the debate stage is a sense of confidence about what I believe, a confidence about where this country can go after we close this sorry chapter and a positive sense of that. And then I'm going to be honest with the American people. There's no reason for me to be running. My daughter Caroline said to me, Dad, she's 19 now. She said, Dad, if you run and tell the truth and you lose, no one can fault you for it. And I said to her, that's good because that's the only way I can win. And I think I can win if there's a market for that sort of 
All right, now I want you to tell me, too, this is my last question. If it wasn't you, which of the Democrats would you like to to run? I think I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> That's what I want you to. I'm just not going to answer that question. Well, I'll answer Do you have this. a favorite? Uh, any one of them over the present occupant of the White well, House. Well, that's easy. Easily. <laughs> easily. Easily. All any right. one of them. Any Which one is of them. more than Donald. You may remember Donald Trump started the debate series last time yeah. with the Republicans. They, they, they were all standing there. I was watching it for debate yeah. prep. He's standing in the middle because he's best known. He's a reality TV star. He's the tall. first question— if you are not if you are not nominated, will you endorse the Republican nominee? Yeah. And Trump says no. <laughs> and nobody knew what to do. Yeah. And from that moment forward, he won. You know, yeah. and he was the nominee and now he's president. We need to do something. You're about not gonna it. do that. I will not do that. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Senator me. Senator Vanna is really interesting. It's gonna be a fascinating campaign, I think, and I think you're right. I think so too. Everything is early game. And you know, we should look at this moment optimistically because that's how America has contended with these challenges in the past. And why not do it? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's Trump is a symptom of our problems much more than he is the cause of our problems. He yeah. caused a lot of problems, but we got to overcome them and then we got to figure out how to govern again. And I think if we do, the next generation will have things to thank yeah. us for. I think one of the things that the press gets wrong a lot of politicians is they think he's an aberration. I don't think he's one at all. I think he is America, too. He's also America, and it's hard to, to swallow that about ourselves. You know, the, the things he's talking about go back in history. That's or, true. That's true. But the fact that he's there, I think, mm-hmm. represents our worst traditions, not our best traditions. Exactly. 100%. And so where we need to be is on our best traditions, yeah. and that's what our kids deserve, and that's why I think that's where we'll end up. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having you me. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Eric America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Where can people find you? They can find Senator me Michael at Michael Bennett. Bennett. One T. Michael Bennett. <laughs> one T. What's com. with the one T? I, I, is it a family? If I had known I'd be a politician, we would f- have fixed the incorrect spelling and have of two my name. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what All right, it is. it's Michael Bennett Michael with one Bennett.com. All right, and if you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And be sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO meets so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com.